the most profound and important events in the history of the world. I love that last scene, sorry, <laughs> when Mary bursts through the door and says, the tomb is empty. You know, she'd been to the tomb with the intent of embalming a body. They brought spices, her and her friends, and they were um, going to go and complete the burial process, which was started right before the Sabbath. But when they got there, they saw an angel sitting on the tombstone. And uh, the stone had been rolled away. And this is what the angel said. <clears throat> he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man would be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. But when the women got to the place where the disciples had been staying to bring them the great news, they were not impressed. <clears throat> this is how they responded, according to Luke. These words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. And you read that and say, wait, what? They didn't believe them? How in the world did that happen? Well, have you ever worried that you were missing the truth? That maybe what you'd heard about God or thought about God and his plans might not be accurate and might not even be true? The disciples obviously missed it. Um, even after all the time they'd spent with Jesus and hearing his teaching over and over again, <clears throat> why wasn't the possibility of resurrection even on their radar screen? Not only were they not at the tomb waiting on that third day for the resurrection to happen, they were in bed asleep. And when the women came to tell them it had happened, they wouldn't believe them. Total misunderstanding on their part. Well, I think that we're going to be looking this morning at maybe why. Why didn't they believe the resurrection? Why weren't they hoping for it when Jesus had told them about it before? We're going to look at what they did hear from Jesus, just as he said. We're going to look at that, and then we're going to examine where they went wrong. And finally, we're going to take a look at those same things that could well trip us up if we're not aware. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you for help this morning to understand this passage. We praise you, God, for the risen Son of God. We thank you that he conquered death, and we thank you that um, that he is alive today to be with us and for us. And we just thank you, Lord, for all of that. And I just pray, Lord, that you would take these words and the words of your scripture and pierce our hearts and transform us even as we sit here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The angel said, he is risen just as he said. Well, what exactly did Jesus say? Well, first of all, um, Jesus wasn't always easy to understand, Right? Sometimes he spoke in kind of vague terms, kind of word pictures and that kind of thing, um, and it was hard to get him. Now, they served a purpose. They would, he, he would use things that were familiar to them and then compare them to new ideas that he was trying to show them so that they could get a grip on um, what he, exactly he was talking about. Here's a couple of examples. When Nicodemus was talking to Jesus um, in John chapter 3, he showed him that uh, to believe is to receive eternal life. And this is what he said. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so much the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So there's one picture. Another picture Jesus did uh, really befuddled the leaders, Jewish leaders at the time and his disciples because the Jewish leaders were asking him for a sign in John chapter 2 
um, to show his authority because he just cleared the temple. And who did he think he was? And so that's what um, he said. So he told him this, destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it up. But John explains, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. But he didn't say that. And that's something they didn't understand till later. One time the Pharisees and scribes asked him for a sign to prove that he was who he said he was. And Jesus told them, an evil and adulterous generation craves, craves for a sign and no sign will be given to it but for the prophet Jonah. And so he talked like this in kind of um, picture terms and it was hard. He also used metaphors to describe himself. He was the bread of life, living water, the, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the door, and the vine. All word pictures to describe himself. Sometimes Jesus showed them <clears throat> how he was actually fulfilling Old Testament because that's what he came to do, was fulfill the law. In the garden, when Peter was swinging his sword and he cut off a man's ear trying to defend the Son of God, <laughs> good luck with that one. But Jesus told him this, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it might happen this way? When he would fulfill the scripture, a lot of times he would let them know, this is what it was talking about right now. Here's another example. When he was in Nazareth and he was in the temple and he was teaching from um, the Holy Word, and so he started to talk, and he did a, a passage from Isaiah, and he sat down, and he said, um, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he was fulfilling another scripture. John 3, 18, um, he was talking about Judas, who was about to betray him at the Last Supper, and he said, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I've chosen, but this is to fill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. So all these times he was telling them, look, I'm fulfilling the scripture. Get it. But a lot of times he fulfilled scripture that he didn't even say, but they figured out later, especially when he told them about it. There were over 300. One guy I read um, this week said 350. I didn't check that one out. I'd always heard 300 scriptures from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. And if you just looked hard enough, you could find it. <clears throat> so two things he would do, using word pictures, talking about fulfilling scripture, but there was another way he told them what he was there for. Right out loud. Plain as you can get. You couldn't miss it. He says this in Mark. The son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise. Now, I'd say that's pretty specific, right? Kind of hard to miss the meaning on that one. He told them a lot of times, plainly, about what he was going to do, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection on the third day. So many people heard him say it that even the scribes and the priests, chief priests and Pharisees, they went to Pilate after he was buried, and they said this, Sir, we remember, while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. Well, they got it. They got what Jesus was saying, but they didn't even have worried about the disciples. They weren't thinking of any such thing. If they had, they would have been at the tomb on the third day waiting for the resurrection to happen, right? 
but instead they were asleep in bed. And when Mary burst into the room, they refused to know the news. And even after two of them, Peter and John, ran to the tomb and looked and saw the empty tomb for themselves, John tells us this, as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. You just want to do a face palm here, right? How much plainer can it get? What in the world? So I just started thinking about what would have stopped them from understanding Jesus. And I came up with three things because they all heard him, his death, his resurrection, always again and again, and yet they didn't get it. So what kept them from understanding the truth? Well, I think that the disciples may not have really heard Jesus even when he was being so specific. And here's one of the reasons. They had presuppositions which kept them from believing the truth. Now, they believed he was the Messiah when Jesus asked them, who did people say I am? And they gave some answers, and they said, well, who do you say I am? And Jesus said, you are Christ, God. Yay, Peter. He got that part anyway. But it did not mean what they thought it meant. They thought the prophets, and of course they, the prophets did, describe the Messiah in terms of a glorious kingdom, in terms of he would usher in where the lion would lay down for the lamb. There'd be no war, no more oppression in Jerusalem. All the nations would bow before him. Prosperity and peace would reign. And the prophets did say that. But the prophets also said that he would be a servant, a suffering servant, that humility would mark him, and he would die to pay for our sin. It was all there, all jumbled together. And they didn't separate out the first and second coming. Of course, we can. We're looking back on it. So by ignoring parts of Scripture and choosing only to see what they wanted to see, they formed incorrect presuppositions, which in turn got in the way of being open to what he was teaching. Now, even on the road uh, after the resurrection, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus um, joined the two men who were walking, or two disciples who were walking, um, and they still didn't believe the resurrection. And this is what Jesus said, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? So even then, Jesus was frustrated with how little they still understood. So preconceptions, one way that, Jesus, that the people did not understand Jesus. But I think also there was something else in the works. I think they were distracted by their present circumstances for the resurrection to make any sense to them. You know, the week, the events of that week had been very stressful, <laughs> to say the least. It began with a triumphant entry into Jerusalem with people waving palm branches and praising him and, and singing messianic songs about him. They laid down their cloaks for this donkey to walk on. But by the end of the week, Jesus had been arrested and condemned to death by the Jewish court. Then he'd been brought to the Romans and put on trial. And the crowd was now crying, crucify him, crucify him. And as they watched him walk that path to the cross, they scattered. They ran for their lives, thinking that they would be arrested next. Now, I believe that that fear that they had, which is so obvious in Scripture, kept them from thinking resurrection. Why? They're in survival mode. So that's one second thing 
first is preconceived ideas. The second is that they were distracted by their circumstances. And third, and this one's really important, what Jesus told them all those times was not compatible with their own personal aspirations. We saw, saw it a bunch of times. Remember on, Jeru- on the way to Jerusalem, James and John approached Jesus and said, we want you to do anything that we ask. And so Jesus said, well, what is it that you want? It, that just cracks me up, that, that whole interchange. And they said, well, we want him to sit on your right and me to sit on your left, and we want to rule with you. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Because whoever wishes to be first among you has to be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You see, God's kingdom was an upside-down kingdom according to what they believed, according to their preconceived notion and their aspiration. They were following the Messiah and fully expected to share in his glory as soon as he got his kingdom going. (laughs) But the problem is they weren't aligning themselves with God's plan. It was theirs. Jesus was aligned with God's purposes. Paul tells us he was completely obedient to the will of the Father. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in that last hour, as Jesus prayed in the garden, dreading all he had to suffer, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Unfortunately, the disciples did not share Jesus' determination to align himself in his obedience to God's plan. One time, when Jesus was teaching him, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And Peter took him aside, and he said, God forbid it, Lord! This will never happen to you! And what did Jesus answer? Get behind me, Satan! You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. That was a problem. They were all about their interests and not understanding God's because they couldn't understand it because they were preoccupied with that other thing. So those are my theories at what kept the the disciples from understanding. But you can't just stop there when you're reading a passage. You've got to look at it and say, okay, so what? What does that mean for me? How can the disciples' failure to understand inform how I live today? Because believe it or not, we cannot understand sometimes too. We can be wrong about things too. And so what do we do? The disciples did come to a complete understanding, by the way. When? After the resurrection. John tells us that when Jesus talked about himself as a temple to the Jewish leaders, the disciples didn't understand the metaphor, but they would one day. This is in John chapter 2. He says, when he was raised from the dead, they remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. John 2. So they didn't understand the whole way through until they saw him risen from the dead. You know, he often told them, especially in the book of Luke, he who has ears, let him hear. And he talked about that all the time. They had listened to his teaching all right, but they weren't really hearing him. What was the difference? It was the resurrection. Now they're all ears. Kind of reminds me of uh, the last plane trip I took. Um, I, you probably, if you've been flying often enough, you know the speech already, right? 
if the, something should happen in the plane and the oxygen max and pull it and the oxygen will start running and put it on you. And, you know, I know that speech. I could give that speech. <laughs> I've, I've heard it so many times. But Southwest Airline has come up with a way to make you listen. And this is uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> I loved, I fell in love with the airline just because of the speech, and I started booking with them all the time. They said this, now if the plane runs into trouble, and if any of the crew thought that we were going to be in trouble, none of us would have showed up for work today. And then he got to the oxygen part, and he said, put yours on first if you're with small children, and then assist your child. Now, if you have more than one child with you, you might want to take the time right now to assess which one has the most potential. <laughs> I love them. But, you know, for most flights, though, I'm not even listening. I've heard it all before. I know how to pull the mask. But believe me, if that plane ran into trouble, if an engine exploded or it went into a nosedive and the stewards started yelling from the front, this is what you do with the oxygen mask. Every eye would be trained on them and everyone be listening. It would change everything. We'd be all ears, right? Well, they were all ears, those disciples, because they'd seen the resurrected Christ. They'd been through the trauma. They saw the victory. And so now they were all ears. So Jesus gave his instructions one more time, like that steward at the front <laughs> shouting out about the oxygen masks. He told them, thus is it written, that um, they would suffer that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed to all the nations. But you know what it says before that? Then he opened their minds. Finally, they got it. And by the way, they didn't get it with the New Testament. That wasn't written yet. Everything that they studied, including the book of Acts, everything that they studied to learn about God and about the Messiah was from the Old Testament. And that's what Jesus showed them that day. It was the same thing he'd been telling them all along, but the difference now was the resurrected Christ standing before them. They were on the other side of the resurrection, and now they could see much more clearly. Because hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Now, all that misconceptions that they had, had all their preformed agenda, vanished. And now... They could go deep. Now they could go deep because they now could understand. Now, before we get too judgy about those poor disciples, <laughs> we need to take a good look at ourselves because sometimes we can be guilty of those very same mistakes. So if you're going to get past the superficial with God, and I know everyone wants that. No one wants to just be on a, uh, you know, scratch-the-surface kind of relationship. If we do, we need to take a good look at ourselves because we can be guilty of those same, same mistakes. So here's what keeps us superficial in our relationship with God. First, like the disciples, we can hold incorrect ideas about God, his plans and his purposes. Now, we all have our ideas about God. Some we've heard from other people, some we've formed through our own experiences. I remember Oprah, during one of her shows long, long ago, she told her audience, the God I worship doesn't judge. I thought, gee, I wonder where she got that God. It's not the one in the Bible, <laughs> but that's what she thought. She made him up. We need to be, have a constant quest to learn more about him. We need to be like the Bereans. The Bereans were people that Paul had gone and visited, and he gave them, the, from the Old Testament, he showed them that Christ had come and had died 
and um, had been resurrected. And he wanted them to believe in him. And you know what the Bereans did? They knew the scriptures. But they went back and looked at the scriptures every single day. And um, they just kept looking to make sure they were believing the right thing. Smart guys, girls, whatever. <laughs> okay, because his word is written to reveal him. And so that's the place we need to go. Because if we don't correctly misunderstand, uh, understand him, our circumstances, like the disciples did, have the power to distract us from the truth. Something like a challenging illness, a sudden loss of a loved one, a tragedy like a house fire or a terrible accident. Those kind of things will knock an incomplete faith right off its feet. Because God is not doing what we incorrectly assumed that he would. You know, Christians love to throw platitudes around. If you get on Facebook, you'll see a lot of them. <laughs> and, you know, they're trying to encourage, I get it. But, uh, you know, things like God won't give you more than you can handle or God helps those who help themselves or his angels will watch over you and keep you safe. But here's the thing. Those little sentences, when you're in pain, they mean nothing. They cannot express... They're so pithy, they can't express what's going on in your heart. They're shallow. They don't address the real struggle because there's more truth to how he's working than one sentence can express. So keeping our relationship with God based on platitudes, it's like having the house that the foolish man built on sand, and it will leave us with a faulty foundation that will not be enough to stand on when that storm comes. And when God fails to do what we thought he said through those nice platitudes, we're disillusioned with him. How dare he not come through for us? And our broken heart or our fear or our disappointment is the lens through which we understand him. But we're looking at the wrong end of the periscope. We need to go around to the other side and look at God's word, define who he is, and then define our circumstances through that lens instead of defining God and who he is through our circumstances. It's the wrong way to go. And the third thing that's going to keep us from recognizing the truth is when we are not aligned with the purposes of God. Because we all have our own agendas, don't we? We all have things we'd like to see accomplished. We all have stuff like um, envisioning what our lives would like be like. You know, dreams and goals, like getting that really perfect job or a status kind of thing, like a beautiful home or a nice car or fancy vacations or that kind of thing. Because in the financial struggle, we wish we could have so much money that we weren't worried about money all the time. A childless couple might yearn for a baby that they can't seem to conceive. A single person might yearn for the person that they would spend the rest of their life with. We all have aspirations. Now, none of those things in themselves are bad. None of them are. But if we take those aspirations and we believe in them harder than we're looking at God and his purposes, we're walking down the wrong trail. Because the majority of all of those kinds of aspirations, guess who's at the center? We are. We want God to be at the center always. So how can we align themselves? Jesus did in the garden. He, what did he do? He prayed. He said, if there's any way we can get, not do this, I'm in. <laughs> but not my will, but yours. He gave up his aspirations 
because he wanted to be completely aligned with the Father. So what do we do? We pray. We ask God for guidance. We ask him to place those desires in our hearts and ask to do whatever it takes to stay in the center of his will. Ask that our values, our efforts, our vision for the future would be in line with his. And I'll tell you something. When you pray that, things happen. God shows you stuff. And suddenly, the messy, yucky stuff that's been keeping you on the wrong direction suddenly becomes very obvious. So risk it and pray. And he'll line you up. He will align you. And knowing his word, of course, will bring us a long way to knowing what his plans and purposes are because he spelled it out pretty good (laughs) in the Bible. It is a battle, isn't it? It's one that we're going to be fighting the rest of our lives while we're still living here on earth to stay aligned with him. But I want you to take heart because, remember the disciples, finally were able to understand and act on that complete understanding came when they were on the other side of the resurrection, post-resurrection, looking back with 2020 vision. The same thing is going to happen for us. One day, we're going to be on the backside of our resurrection. That's what it says in Thessalonians. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Resurrection. And we shall be changed, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. How are we changed? Well, John tells us. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. You see, seeing him in his full glory when he returns is going to be transformative for us. It's going to change everything. Now, you know, I used to teach fifth grade for many years, and I used to love doing art projects at Christmas time because, number one, nobody was listening to me anyway, and number two, I liked my my, my, uh, classroom really pretty because I love Christmas. And so I had this project that um, me and the other uh, teacher, I and the other teacher would do. And it's, um, it was these tin soldiers. They're like this tall. And I had all different kinds of construction paper. And it took like, oh my gosh, two afternoons to get everything cut to exactly the right uh, size and everything. And I hand out, you get three of these blue triangles and four. So they had all these pieces there. And some of you have been in my fifth grade classroom and remember those tin soldiers. And so... The problem was, is that because I wanted them to be alike um, enough that we could line them up like they're soldiers, but I also was going to give them the freedom to put whatever glitter or ornaments or, you know, whatever they were going to do, you know, they could put it all, and the kids got real creative, (laughs) swords that some of them were holding and that kind of thing. But but the, the basic form of the soldier, they had to follow directions. Now, it was about 45 minutes of giving directions to 10-year-olds. You can imagine. And I used to dread that part of it. I loved the finished product, but I used to, oh, they're never going to listen. They don't listen. And, you know, it's very specific. But here's what I found out. I made a prototype. And I put glitter all over them and beautiful buttons and foil this and epaulets on the shoulders and all that kind of stuff. And I told the kids, this is what you're going to make. And I'd hold up this glittering, shiny thing. And the kids would go, now they're ready to listen. 
Now they're ready to listen for 45 minutes and cut those pieces. So here's the thing. When Jesus comes again and we see him in all his glory, now we're ready. Now we're ready to fully align ourselves with God because you know what? Anything else would be ridiculous when we actually see him. But don't be depressed if you're not there yet because someday you will be resurrected if you believe in Jesus. And someday you will see him in all his glory and you will be aligned with God, even in the places that you fail him right now. Jesus said, beloved, oh, I'm John, I'm sorry, I got the wrong thing here. Seeing the glory of God does have that effect on people. Remember Isaiah, he was being asked to go out and talk to the people. And so to give him a vision for where he was needed to go and why he was doing this thing, God gave him a vision of the Lord sitting on his throne with angels around him singing and glory all around. And Isaiah fell to his face in awe of what, he's been, what he saw. And then finally, God says, who will go? Who can we send? And what's Isaiah's first response? Send me! Because he'd seen the glory of God. It's going to be the same for us. After the resurrection, when we see Jesus as he really is, we're going to want nothing more than to align ourselves with him. And you know what? We will be like him. John just said it. And we'll be completely obedient. Imagine that. Completely humble. Self-sacrificing servant. Able to love God with all of our hearts and mind and strength. For the first time ever, we'll be completely aligned with the plans and purposes of God. Remember doubting Thomas. I'm not going to believe anything until I actually touch his wounds and know that he's real. And Jesus said this to Thomas after he did. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. That's where we are now, friends. We may not have seen Jesus or been able to touch his wounds, but we can believe in in spite of that, and we will be blessed at the resurrection. So I need to ask then, where are you along this road? Is your understanding of God and his plan for your salvation enough that you can trust him for all of it? We all have to start somewhere. And that place is the foot of the cross. Seeing Jesus suffer for our sins, dying in our place, then rising again to defeat death, understanding that he did it all for you. Understanding that even our best attempts to try and please God is not adequate to have our sins forgiven. The cross is where our journey begins. If you've never taken that first step, and you want to be aligned with God, there is no time like the present because you have a window of opportunity that will close at the end of your life. And it just when your life is over, there's no guarantee of tomorrow, but you do have right now. And if you are interested in doing that, I want you to meet me, and maybe some of the elders can make themselves available over there by the, the communion table, and let's talk about it. Because we'd really be happy to answer your questions and hear your concerns and pray with you. So right now, what I'd like you to do is just take a minute. Think about what just struck you the most in all the things that we saw today. And give it to God. Pray to him. Tell him what you're thinking. Start that journey of putting yourself in alignment with the Lord. are wrong in what we think. Show us about our agenda and help us, God, to understand your truth 
I pray for each person here today. Thank you, God, for the resurrected King. And we just pray, God, that we would continue on our journey to understanding and knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen.